towards the Lord. For one, the low point is a milestone on a road to greatness. Of course, that would be David. The other one, it's a, it is the beginning of the final act of a life that's hauntingly tragic because of sin and rebellion. And of course, that's King Saul. Um, and so tonight, I'm speaking to you on the subject of Saul's final descent into darkness. There's going to be sort of like three sections of what we're doing tonight. So I'm going to sort of like I do when I take your crowd, if we have an event going on, and move people around. If you allow me to tonight, I'm going to kind of take your mind with me with this so that we can transition from one thing to another with this. But uh, as I looked at the chapters and wanted to see what was the biblical pattern for the teaching and how we could best be benefited from it, I saw that uh, chapter 27 is not going to receive a great deal of our attention, but it's going to be important. What happens at this point, David's life and what is happening, you're over here and David is, uh, you'll see in a moment, is to a point of despair really almost. And at the same time, some things are going on with Saul and this almost intersects. And it almost intersects with David going to fight alongside the Philistines against Saul. So this comes to a very close intersection of that. That ends up not happening. But we'll see tonight in 27 and 28, we'll see, we'll see the, the start towards that with it. And, uh, and then we'll see what happens on beyond that. Um, look in uh, chapter 27. Verse 1, it says, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now, remember what happened? Last time we were studying about this? Remember what happened? David went right down into Saul's camp. Saul had 3,000 men. His chief bodyguard, Abner, who was no slouch in battle, by the way. Not the kind of guy you want to get angry at you. Um, But he went down right into the camp and took the water took the spear right from beside King Saul and then went up a good distance away because he has good sense and uh, then hollered down and told Abner that he was worthy of death sentence. And you kind of wonder later on when uh, Joab kills Abner and that, David doesn't, he, he laments over Abner and says, a great, day's fall, a great man's fallen in Israel and such. And he did some things that reconciled the kingdom together, but he never... He never prosecuted that at all. But anyway, he, uh, uh, he, he was, went down there. Now that's all happened. Remember Saul? He said, is this my voice of my son David? He said, I've sinned. And you're going to have the kingdom and I'm not going to chase you anymore, basically, is what Saul said. And David knew how much to count on that, didn't he? He evidenced it by not getting near him because he knew I was, he, he'd seen Saul in action with this stuff before. And so now, in chapter 27, verse 1, David has had this continual pressure upon him for years now. And uh, we talk about him having 400 men with him and 600 men. You're going to see tonight that there were even more than those people with him that he was trying to take care of and oversee while he himself was, you know, he, he was uh, the target of the king's wrath. So look in verse 1 again. And David said in his heart, 
I shall now one day uh, perish now one perish one day <laughs> by the hand of Saul. Do you, do you see that discouragement? Do you see what has come in with that? He said, I, "This is going to happen. I'm going to end up perishing." He said, "I'm going to perish by the hand of Saul." Look at that next little phrase. There is nothing better for me. And he's, I'm going to finish it. But look what he said there. I'm going to perish one day. And he said, so there's nothing better for me at this point. I think I flipped it on, Daniel. thought I did. There we go. I flipped it on back off again. didn't mean to. Thank you. And uh, he said, I'm going to perish one day at the hand of Saul. And then his next statement, he said, there's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. He said, I'm going to die. Isn't that amazing? This man of faith and who had said God was going to protect him and believe that, he got to this low point to where he said, he's just going to get me one of these days. And then he makes a statement, and it's a very telling statement, there's nothing better for me but to go to the Philistines. And uh, I'll make a comment about that in a moment. He said, there's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Do you remember that David tried to go to Achish before? And David got scared when he realized they were recognizing him and some of the people were saying, this is David. you know, And, and he's going to Gath, the king of Gath. That's where Goliath came from. And you remember that's when David acted like he was crazy, let the spittle run down on his beard, scrabbled at the gate and all that and got away. Well, now he goes back. It's been a number of years now what's happened here. Verse 3, And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, Look at this. I told you more than just 600. He and his men, every man with his household. He didn't just have the 600 men. He also had their families. I don't know what that final number was. There's a lot of people to care for. And so he's there, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelite, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath and he sought no more again for him. So Saul goes back and he's not hunting for him now. He says, well, he's gone over there and uh, he's joined up with the Philistines. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eye, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? It's like, it's too crowded and this is a problem for you. Just find a place for me. And uh, Achish gave him Ziklag. How do you like that? David says, is there some place where we can go? He gave him a city. Then Achish gave him Ziklag. The word Ziklag, best definition I can find for it, it means winding. It comes from a word that means winding. Now, you talk about a winding path that David's been on. The Lord's known that path, but as far as David knows, man, this thing has been all over the place and very unstable in his life. Not because he was unstable, but just because of the situation. 
And Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So David was there for 16 months. Now that's pretty amazing with that. Let me say this statement to you, alright? I pointed out and drew attention for this statement where David said, there is now nothing better for me. I wrote this statement down. Discouraged and hopeless people are very vulnerable to poor choices. This is not a high point in David's life. Discouraged and hopeless people are very vulnerable to poor choices. You've heard me make a statement which I had made to me and Brother Hiles taught us this statement. Don't make a decision when your decision maker is broken. I don't know if it originated with him, but Tim can tell you. We heard that a lot when we were, when we were in, in Bible college. And uh, one of the ways in which our, our decision maker can be totally flattened out is through discouragement and hopelessness. He, it shows up in what he said. There's nothing better. There's only one option, and it's this. There's only one option. It's not a good one, but this is it. When you start thinking that way, you're on dangerous ground. Because you're no longer looking for what God has that's best. You're, you're getting ready to operate because of fear, because of uh, giving up, and, and not by faith. And so um, that's, that's an important point in life. Now, it's kind of interesting. Ziklag, we're going to learn more about it. Not tonight, but it's going to factor in here heavily. Um, in fact, um, ne in the next preaching on this, which should be Sunday night, we're going to be dealing with the, the, this statement. The, the message is entitled, What He Learned When He Was Alone. And David's wilderness years are coming to an end here shortly. And chapter 27 shows you how he ended up in this place called Ziklag. He ended up there in this place called Winding or Ziklag. He ended up there at a point of discouragement. He comes out of there and is installed in the throne of Israel, at least in the southern tribes. He, began, he begins actually ruling as a king I told you before, could be anywhere from 13 to 15 or 16 years after he was anointed. But he will begin ruling as a king. He will come out of Ziklag when he learns the lessons that he has to learn when he's alone. So just put that in your mind. We meet together again on dealing with David, which Sunday night we'll be dealing with this and we're going to find out what he learned when he was alone. And you can be alone while you have people around you. You can be alone in the midst of busyness and people. And so that'll help you with that. But looking here tonight, you can see what was happening with David. Now watch what happens here, right? You have this going on with David. Remember what happened? Saul had been there and came in with 3,000 chosen men. He's going to get David. They go, the men are asleep. David comes down with Bishai with him, takes the water, takes the spear. You have that whole incident happens. And then David says... He's going to get me one of these days. There's nothing better for me now but to go to the Philistines. He goes back to Achish. 
I don't know exactly why he went back here again. That's interesting, isn't it? He goes to the city of Gath. He, he had defeated the champion of Gath. Well, maybe, I don't know. Do you think maybe he thought well, nobody in that town is going to fight him? They know I did the Goliath. I don't know. But he went there. And uh, Achish says, this is wonderful. And in fact, you'll find out on Sunday that Achish is really excited about having David with him. The other lords of the Philistines are, but he is. And I'll show you the reason why. Look at the end of chapter 27. Look at the last verse of chapter 27. It says, verse 12, Achish believed David, saying he hath made his, peop uh, his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant forever. Why he said that was the whole time David was living in Ziklag, he was going out fighting Philistines. And he would go against the Philistine cities and wipe them out. And then come back. And Achish would say, hey, uh, y'all went somewhere. Where'd you go? And he said, oh, against Judah or against here or against there. And Achish says, man, he can't go back home. This old boy's putting a hurt on his own people. He can't go back home. That was what was happening. And so Achish really thinks he's got him. And it's kind of wild. It's going to be important for something to understand here when we start in chapter 28, all right? So you've seen what's going on with David. Now it transitions to what's going on with Saul at this time. So here you have David at a low point because of discouragement. Are you with me on this? Right? And then he, he is making some decisions here. Then you have Saul. And tonight's message, of course, is Saul's final descent into darkness. Before we go into chapter 28, there's something you have to be aware of or you will not get what this chapter, how significant it is. May I say something going into this chapter? When you catch me after the service, as invariably happens if you're preaching along this chapter, and you start asking me particulars about what all happens in this chapter, you'll see what I mean in a minute if you don't know it. I'm going to look at you and say, it says what it means. <laughs> and I can't explain it all to you. One of the more unusual chapters in the Bible you ever run into. I got so publicly embarrassed on this one when I was a Bible college student. Well, Tim, you'll appreciate this. I got his question and answer time at First Baptist. At 610, Brother Howes would have a question and answer time. And what it was, the church was so large, it just kind of gave him time with people in general. You've got a church that runs thousands and thousands. There are people who have been in church for years you probably never really got to say hi to. And so he would just take questions. Got some Bible questions, got sports questions, different things. And it was just like, you know, meeting time. You get together, it wasn't formal or anything. And so, as a, I was, I was a transfer student, but as a freshman, as it were, new to the college, I was up in the balcony. And uh, it wasn't my freshman year. I should have known better. I'd been there just a little while. But up in the balcony, I raised my hand. Got called on. I had a question about chapter 28. And we have this lady here. She's known as the Witch of Endor. Endor's the name of town. And uh, I said, Brother Hiles, yes, sir. I said, uh, ask a question. I said, the Witch of Endor, did Samuel actually come up? What was it? 
you understand if you don't know what this is about, we'll read through. At least you'll know why I have to ask the question. And I should have taken the clue. There was a way he did things. Remember how he do the pulpit? He'd do his shoulders like this. And I'm sitting on this side to his side, and he looks at me. The guys around me, they almost duck. I mean, not real quick to catch things. Did not realize what I just did. I said, did it actually happen? And he says, what does it say? I then realized that the way I had framed the question came across as, here's what the Bible says, what does it actually mean? Which that didn't go over well. And he says, what does it say? And uh, then, this is where I went from just shaky ground to just like bungee jumping off where I shouldn't have been. I realized I had put it together wrong the way I was saying it, and I tried to schmooze my way out of it. It is an inherently bad idea to try to schmooze your way out of something in front of several thousand people, especially with someone who's very, very quick-witted with that. And uh, so I said to him in my own schmoozing mode right then, I said, well, sir, he said, what does it say? I said, well, sir, you've read it a lot more times than I have. I thought maybe you would have insight of it, you know. <laughs> That's not funny to you on the surface because you didn't even know him. He said, son, <laughs> and you know his voice, but he said, son, it said the same thing the last time I read it than it did the first time, and I sat down. Now, <clears throat> I've been traumatized by this chapter. <laughs> So take it easy on me. If you try to ask me particular questions, I may project my emotional scars upon you and say, son, anyway. Um, but all that to say, I, I take it for what it says. I cannot explain it to you. You'll see what I mean. I can't explain how it all fits together. I just know this is what happened with it. And one thing I do know, and I have come to appreciate over the years about this situation, is the fact there are a lot of things we can't just quantify or explain. Not everything that goes on in this whole world and not everything that God's created and that He's interacting in fits real neatly in our little boxes and checks that we've come up with. It doesn't ever go against Scripture, but God can do what God will do. And you have certain occasions in the Bible where God decides to do something. He never violates His own moral law and never goes against what His own character is. But you know, when Jesus wanted to walk across storm-tossed water, He walked across it. You do know that's not a normal occurrence. It's not something you'll do, you know. There was this video I went to see it saying, the guy talking about he was walking or running on water. What he did was he got up enough speed on the shore, he made it like five steps. But by the fifth step, he's going under. That's not walking on water. A couple, three miles out onto a tempestuous ocean, you know. And so uh, God will do these things. When in the book of Joshua, God made the sun stand still, that's what he did. He said, well... But that's you know that was a, that was a, a a geocentric viewpoint of things that they thought that the the sun uh, revolved around the earth and all that. God's never been geocentric. He knows how it works. He just put the whole cotton picking galaxy on hold, or however he did it. Pause. Never happened before. Never happened since. You have. Uh, 
King was the King Hezekiah when the sundial went back 15 degrees? You know, it's one thing if your watch quits working or loses time, but when the sundial goes backwards, nobody's twisting that thing. That's pretty pretty amazing. So there's some things that happen. Now let's look at what happens because the issue is not all the things that are a little bit odd in this to our thinking, but the issue is what's happening with Saul. So to understand it, you're going to need to understand something about the woman he's talking to because she's called a woman with a familiar spirit. That didn't mean she got along with everybody. Look in Leviticus chapter 19. We'll come back to 1 Samuel in just a second. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. The Lord commanding His people said this, in verse 30, Leviticus 19 and verse 30, He said, "Ye shall keep My Sabbaths and reverence My sanctuary. I am the Lord. By the way, that's why your preacher will say occasionally to you, uh, I want the children to enjoy themselves. Let's make sure they don't get out of hand. Romping, screaming, running through the hallways, that sort of stuff. They need to be taught more than that. Now, there's a kind of a play area, and they need that, and our, our land is such they need an area, but uh, they need to, even within that, have a respect with that. It's not, it's not a romper room. And be taught how to behave things, uh, behave and do these things. Uh, you shall keep my Sabbaths in reverence by sanctuary. It's the Lord's house. We need to have that in our mind. I am the Lord. Then look at this regard not them that have familiar spirits. Neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. Now you think about that. Wizards have a defiling effect on people. Because what they're dealing with is unholy. And there's a real aspect. There's plenty of shenanigans and charlatans out there, you know. And uh, read your palm while they empty your wallet, you know. But there are evil and unclean spirits involved with some of this too. And it, uh, and it, uh, it defiles a people. And all sorts of witchcraft does. There's no such thing as white witchcraft. It's all evil. There's not a good and a bad witchcraft. Um, everything from the teaching of Wicca and teaching of so-called white witchcraft to the teachings of yin and yang and all these things have the root of nothing but demonism. And so it needs to be clearly said. It says, neither seek after wizards. And by the way, it's also amazing that so much of entertainment for children centers around these things. And it is not harmless. To be defiled by them, I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt, not, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head, that's gray hair, and honor the face of the old man and fear thy God, I am the Lord. There's to be a reverence also for the aged. And there's to be a reverence for those who have some years on them. And uh, there needs to be a thing of uh, understanding that, being there. But he warned his people about this thing of familiar spirits. The familiar spirits, you're going to see wizards, you're going to see necromancers, you're going to see sorcerers, all this we're going to deal with here. 
it's interesting, most all of the um, definitions deal with a mumbling or a whispering. Incantations, spells. Um, it's a real thing. And uh, there are people who learn it, people who teach it. Um, the Masonic Lodges use it. I'll get you in trouble in Eastern Kentucky saying that. Um, the calling their leader the worshipful master, going through the rites, starting at the Blue Lodge and working upward. And what they do, what it is, it's, it's a bringing in of a replacement for the Gospel and for God. That's why the G, for the Masonic symbol, you're not allowed to say what God it is. According to proper Masonic discipline, you cannot pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Because it's the God, the architect of the universe, but He cannot, he cannot be identified. And so, a lot of things with that. That has more to do with the Druids and the, the, those old things than it does uh, with the Bible by a long way. Leviticus chapter 20. Let's look at this. Look in verse 6. Here was God warning to His people. As His people came out of Egypt, as they were becoming a nation, as they were going forward, He said, you're going to be going to a land where this is going to be there and it's going to influence you. You have to stand guard against it. Look in verse 6. And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits. And that's the idea of being able to divine things. That's being able to, to call up things and, and that sort of thing. Have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them. And God says when His people go after this stuff, it's the same as a spouse or a person being immoral and going, going somewhere besides where they should. He said, he said you're going whoring after them. That's what it is when you go towards that and you're supposed to be a child of God. To go whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul. Now, remember that phrase because you're going to see something come up very strong in what we're getting ready to look at. God said, when you do this, I'm going to set my face against you. Against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. Okay? Then look over in Deuteronomy chapter 18. You say, I preach this is all in the Old Testament. Very clever. You got it. Deuteronomy 18. And it happens to be part of all Scripture that is profitable. Deuteronomy 18. I'm showing you as example what the Lord did with His people. And then to make you happy, we'll go to the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 18, look in verse 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Do you understand that God several times in several ways warned His people about when they got to the promised land, the dangers that they would face there. So He's doing this. When you get, thou come to the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. I, I sat uh, with a man in our church today and uh, we talked about soul winning and I was doing some Bible teaching with him. We were talking and I said, I want you to realize something. He's new to soul winning and I said, I want you to realize something. I said, as you're going out with the gospel, as you're trying to reach people with the gospel and seeking for them to be converted by the gospel, your adversary is trying to convert you. It's warfare. It's not one-sided. 
And whether through slick questions, through doubts put in your mind, through different things like that, you're going to be the target of an attempted conversion as you go with the gospel to others. It's an important thing to keep in mind. Here he said, God said, when you go to this land that I give you, don't learn their ways. Don't do that. He said, I am running them out of this land. I am destroying these nations because of what they are and what they worship and what they follow. He said, don't you take on what they have. And so he's warning them about that. And he says, uh, uh, lost my place here. I'll come back again. Where am I? Pardon? Nine, thank you. Um, and the Lord, nah, I moved, I moved the whole thing. 18 verse 9. There we go. Uh, I looked at 17. No wonder I had a problem. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. God said, this stuff makes me sick. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That was the worship of a God called Moloch. And literally, they would put their children into a burning idol. An offering to this God. Isn't that horrific to think about? And that's what they did. He said, you don't do that. And by the way, there would be time in Israel's history where they would start to do that. And God had to, had to destroy them and scatter them because of it. He said, do not cause your daughter or son to pass through the fire. Or, I mean, verse 10, or that useth divination or an observer of times. Thank you, horoscope and all that. Or an enchanter. And that's a charmer, one who... who it's interesting. It means to couple up with and then to bring along. An enchanter. Or a witch... This next word matches that enchanter. It's tied into it. Or a charmer. Or a consulter with familiar spirits. Or a wizard. Or a necromancer. That's one who converses with the dead. 1800s, it wasn't uncommon. A popular thing in society, people would... Uh, would uh, seek after people and they would hear rappings from the dead. They had all these, dude, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of charlatans. They'd get, uh, get money and they'd say, Who do you want to talk to? I want to talk to my Aunt Bertha that died. Okay, see if we can get her Aunt Bertha answer with three knocks. You know, and, and of course, a lot of that was just a con job. But a lot of what you had happening too was the fact that you had people who were actually trying to communicate with the dead. And he said, there's not to be one with you. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God will drive them out from before thee. He said, I'm destroying them because of this and you're not to start acting like this. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. And he said, you're never to touch this stuff. Look in Acts chapter 19. Turn over there quickly if you will. Not losing your place in 1 Samuel, but go over to the New Testament to Acts. Acts chapter 19. Now we're dealing with Saul's final descent into darkness. <laughs> I'm not going to take time to expound on this much. I'm going to read it to you. And uh, 
it's pretty amazing what happens here. Part of it's almost in a way humorous. It's not really funny, but it's pretty, pretty amazing what happens. And uh, look in verse 13. Jesus had cast out evil spirits. Apostle had been given authority to do that. And so there were some people to get in on this act. They're going to say, hey, we're going to do this. Look in verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, these, these are kind of no-account drifters. You know, they wouldn't get in on things. They, 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 they're, just, they're, they're not people of any character or any quality. Certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, they, they decided that they're going to be exorcists. This is what they're going to do. Uh, <laughs> boy, I could tell you some wild stories I've encountered here in town with three or four different people through, over the years who've come and tried to present themselves as exorcists to me and wanted to know their services were available. And I told them, no, thank you. I exercise regularly. Um, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them. You like that phrase? This was their idea. Not God didn't send them. They took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. So they decide we're going to start slinging that name Jesus around and see what we can do about all this. <laughs> Saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. It's not, Jesus isn't their Savior. They're just trying to tag on to the religious excitement of the day as it were. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and the chief of the priests, which did so. This fellow is the chief priest. He has seven sons. They get together and decide to do this thing. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? You're fixing to have a bad day. Just mark that down. Um... Well, I'll not take time to tell you. I'm so tempted to tell you about something happening in the streets of Houston in relationship to that once. One of the wildest things. But he said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. Who are you? Then look what happens. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. He literally ripped the clothes off of them, beat them, sent them out the door. Don't mess with what you don't know and you're not ready for. Some of this stuff is very real. And it's not to be played with. Not to live in fear of it, but you better have some respect for some things you may not quite understand. And so they were wounded. Verse 17, And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks, also dwelling at Ephesus. So they heard about this. Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So why would it have been magnified? Because they realized you couldn't just mess around and play with the name of Jesus. This was something real. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. They said, we got to get some stuff right. Many of them also which used curious arts. That term exactly attaches to what we read about in the Old Testament. Wizards, charmers, sorcerers, necromancers, diviners, those with familiar spirits. 
curious arts. When I was a kid, the fascination was Ouija boards, seances, things like that. And uh, people messing with what they shouldn't be messing with. And as a child in a non-church going home, we did such things. And I'm telling you, (laughs) it's not to be messed with. Many of them also which use curious arts brought their books. They had books on witchcraft. Books about wizards. Books about all these things. They brought their books together and burned them before all men. They were not confiscated from them and burned. These people said, we don't want this in our life anymore. They said, we don't want that. It's like when I understood the effect of music and and what direction it can take you in life and I took much of the filthy music that I had that promoted everything from fornication to drug addiction literally burnt it. But I didn't come and take that from me to do it. This isn't talking about a government or somebody coming and confiscating to cleanse you from something. This is talking about people of God getting right with God and not saying, oh, we'll put that up on a shelf somewhere. We just won't look at it. Or we'll sell it in a yard sale so somebody else can get it. Which when I, I remember when I got rid of the albums and stuff, you don't know what that is, really huge CD, you don't know what that is, never mind. Um, but it is, uh, might as well say, rotary phone and dial tone. But, the, uh, but when I was burning those things, I had people say, those worth a lot of money. I knew that, I bought them. And uh, they're like, uh, why don't you sell them, make some money. And I couldn't get, especially a uh, uh, couple of my relatives that were saved people, but weren't in their mind where I was about wanting to sell out to the Lord, I couldn't get them to understand why in the world, if I'm trying to get rid of garbage, would I make money on it and put it in somebody else's mind? So these folks brought their books together and burned them before all men, publicly disassociating themselves with this, publicly disavowing this. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So a whole lot of people getting rid of a whole lot of trash. Now you think about that. Before this little revival here broke out, God's people, these were believers, had among them $50,000 worth of witchcraft stuff that needed to get out of there so the Holy Spirit of God would have free reign so He could do something for them. Amazing, isn't it? Now, understanding all that, let's look at chapter 28. I'm taking a great risk speaking tonight in the sense that we're doing a couple, three different things. Talk to you here about uh, chapter 27. It's because you need to understand the Bible lays it out this way. It keeps in 27, 28, 29, 30. What it does, it goes back and forth between what's happening with David and what's happening with Saul at that time because it's coming to a culmination of things that's going to end up with David on the throne in Hebron. And so we saw David in a point of discouragement, low point, and he goes to Kish and he says, there's nothing better for me And so he makes that decision. A decision which, by the way, he'll live with for a total of of 16 months. And the people with him. Then Saul, you're seeing chapter 28, Saul takes the final step in a long plunge of darkness. Let's look in uh, 1 Samuel 28 and we'll see what happens here with this. All right. It came to pass in those days, in the same time frame, David's at Ziklag, all this is going on, and he's with Akish came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. Now watch. 
And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy men. So here David is, and King Achish calls him in and says, You're going to battle alongside us. You're fighting as one of my troops. And we're going after Israel. <laughs> you talk about getting in a predicament here. Watch what happens. David's wise in the way he answers this though. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And so he makes no command, he just, he just says it. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Remember, Achish thinks David's totally made himself repulsive to the Israelites. And uh, he's just really, really excited about him. Verse 3, Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had lamented him. They wept, wept, wept over him, wept over him, and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. So by by decree of the king, that was something good Saul had done. He had said they're to be put out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together. And came and pitched. You see that word pitched? You'll see it again. It means that they came together as an army camp. They're, they're coming together preparing for battle. They came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by the prophets. Very quickly, turn back to 1 Samuel 13. I was debating whether to show you, I was going to tell you about this, but to show it to you, and I really feel like I should. 1 Samuel 13. Now, look what's happening here. Samuel's not there. That had been Saul's advisor. A great battle is getting ready to take place. Saul gets scared. He's getting ready to make a very bad move. Look at what happened in 1 Samuel 13. There was, there was a garrison of Philistines and Jonathan had went over and attacked the, uh, the Philistines. And when he went over and attacked the Philistines, they had gotten very, very upset about that and then decided to, to uh, fight against, the, uh, uh, against uh, Israel. All right? So let's pick this up. Uh, verse 5. 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. This has been years before, two years into Saul's reign. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Look at this look at this military array. 30,000 chariots. That's huge. Militarily then that's huge. And 6,000 horsemen. You have a distinct advantage when you have chariots and horsemen going against troops that are on foot. People as the sandwiches on the seashore in multitude and they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Bethaven. Then the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. 
Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. They're scared to death. A bunch of them have, have, have went AWOL on him. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Uh, Saul suffering from desertions. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. He transgressed against God when he did it. What he was doing, only the priests were allowed to do. He had stepped out of the king, king's realm into the priest's realm, and he was not allowed to do that. You had kings that were prophets, but the king was not priest. Jesus is the only one that's prophet, priest, and king. Now we're kings and priests made by him in his worship. And so that's a wonderful thing. But look what he says. He, he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. By the way, this is before the whole thing with Amalek. You know, where Saul had to, had to nail him over that and told him it was the sin of witchcraft and as rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And Samuel said, verse 11, What hast thou done? Look what Saul said. This is really the first time you really see him doing this. And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. This is the first time you have Saul doing that. Well, it's the people, and Saul, you weren't here, on, or Samuel, you weren't here on time and then I had the Philistines. This is where he first started making excuses for disobedience to God's Word. But look what he says. Therefore, verse 12, said I, the Philistines will come down now Upon me to Gilgal, I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Everything in that is a language of trouble. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which He commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. He said, Saul, God was waiting to see what you did when all this pressure hit at once and He was going to establish you. Remember what I told you at the beginning? Hopeless and discouraged people make, are very prone to very bad decisions. Saul, right then, could have been established. But he looked and he said, No, I've got to do it. And he disregarded the command of the Lord. He disregarded what was clearly written and what he was supposed to do or not do because of the circumstances around him. Verse 14, And now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. It's the first time the pronouncement against him is given, and it's because what he did right before battle. Now, watch that, and let's go back to 28 and finish, all right? Verse 3, look at the similarity of a situation here. Of course, Samuel just arrived later than what Saul thought he would in, in the, what we read about in chapter 13. Now look at this. Samuel's dead. We're back in verse 3. 
And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. So he's scared to death again, just like he had been way back then. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her. Now he put him out of the land. But as I told you before, it's interesting. Human nature is interesting. His servants knew where one was. There's always been a black market, even in the black arts. No, no, they're put away. I need one. Well, we know where she is. Isn't that amazing? That I may go to her and inquire of her. Now, you look how far this man's gone. Down. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself, which took some doing as big as he was, and put on other raiment, and he went and two men with him. Did he kind of hunch over or make himself look crippled? I don't know, but he had to do something convincing. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. That's the necromancer part going in. He's he's going all the way across all the lines here. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest that Saul hath done, and what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? She says, what are you talking about? You know Saul's rule. We don't do this. And Saul sware to her by the Lord. I'm not even going to take time. I just want your mind to think of the perversity of that. Swearing by the Lord to a witch to get her to do what's against the Word of God. You say, man, that's messed up. That's where you get. You go away from the way of the Lord. People will look at somebody and say, how in the world did they... I tell you, I do. You go in darkness, it gets very dark. So there it is. Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. He's trying to get to Samuel. Bring me up Samuel. And now, in these next few verses, you're going to see how I ended up asking a question that got me nailed right in front of a bunch of people. Verse 12. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with, cried with a loud voice. Scared her to death. He came and said, bring me up somebody. She said, okay, we'll do it. She did whatever she did. All of a sudden, somebody comes there and she's like, ah! She wasn't expecting that. She's, <laughs> this thing has just done something different than what she thought was going to happen scared her to death. And then she realized something. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Because she sees this, and she turns to him, and she goes, Wait a minute. We got a problem here. 
And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And look how she puts this out here. And the woman said, this is not God telling you this is what this was, this is what she said. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. That's the only way she knows how to describe it. Something's going on, she, she can't figure it out. Apparently this wasn't happening to her every afternoon. Right? And he said unto her, What form is he of? He said, What do they look like? And she said, An old man cometh up. He is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. So he says, That's Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And I love this verse. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed. For the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and answers me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, remember I drew your attention to the fact that God said he set his face against those who went into this type of stuff? Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and has become thine enemy? It's exactly God said, if my people go after these kind of spirits, I will set my face against them. Better take it seriously. And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. He said, Saul, God didn't do this to you arbitrarily. He didn't choose you to be someone who had all this happening in your life. You made choices. This is where they went. Now you're facing it. Remember, some of you a little older, remember the old saying, you made your bed, now you're going to lie in it. You're facing what you've done. And so he tells him that. And uh, not a pleasant message to receive, but truth. And so, verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistine. In other words, you're going to lose this battle. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway all along the earth. He just boom, falls over. Just, just tips over. And was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him. In addition to that, look, look what else was happening with him. For he had eaten no bread all the day nor all the night. And the woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Behold, thy handmaid hath obeyed thy voice. I have put my life in my hand and have hearkened unto thy words which thou spakest unto me. She's pleading for life. She knows she's in the middle of something. She has no idea what all's happening here. Now therefore I pray thee, hearken thou also unto the voice of thy handmaid and let me set a morsel of bread before thee. And eat that thou mayest have strength when thou goest thy way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, 
compelled him, and he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house, and she hasted and killed it and took flour and kneaded it and did bake unleavened bread, therefore. You figured out there's no microwave stuff. Your meal didn't show up instantly. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants, and they did eat. Then they rose and went away that night. That's a man who started out blessed of God and being a good king. But along the way, he rejected the word of the Lord, and he is finding the truth that when you reject the word of God, you are rejected. It's a serious business that happened here. So David goes down to Ziklag at the time of discouragement and he says, there's nothing better for me. And so he's in this quandary now. Achish is saying, hey, you're going to battle with me. Where are we going? Israel. We're going to go fight a major battle. David's anointed king of Israel. Now he's with this Philistine king and facing going to battle. And while that's going on, this is going on with Saul over here. And in the Sunday night, he said, you're going to come together. You're going to see what happens with all of this. And how David, you'll find out the lessons that he learned being alone. You're going to find out that one of these two kings, David, learns how to come back up from that low point because his heart stays right with the Lord. That's the Bible I was supposed to teach you tonight. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank You for Your people. And thank You for Your Word. And Lord, may we not be dull of hearing May we be able to endure sound doctrine and learn of You. God, may it put a sobriety in our soul to walk closely with You and that we would not um, cast away lightly what You've given us. I pray that You'll bless us and help us to be a people that walk in obedience to You. Amen. Let's stand together. I always want to give you opportunity to respond to the Word of the Lord. You and God will know what that's about. We have a song invitation. You want to come tonight. Why don't you come on the first note?